So Allie and I moved into a new place just, uh, just about a month ago, and it's a much bigger place. And our girls' room is so much bigger than the last room. And just a couple weeks ago, I was sitting on the, on the couch in the living room uh, listening to my daughters enjoy their new room. It was the most amazing sounds coming out of there, you know, two little girls giggling and laughing. That's them. Uh, I love this picture because it shows their personality. Darby's very serious, taking that pose very seriously, and Gwen's just, ah! And so that's them. Uh, but in their room, there came in this amazing, beautiful noise of laughter and giggling and two sisters playing so much. And parents, you know that feeling. It's just an amazing feeling. <clears throat> but as so often happens with little children, those la- sounds of laughter and giggling turn to sounds of anger and yelling as I hear, no, give it to me. It's mine. Give it to me. Coming from the room. So as, you know, the father and supreme judge of all things that go on in the house, I, I walk into their new room and, and look to Darby, the eldest, and say, what's going on? And she goes into this very lengthy discussion of how Gwen took her toy, and she just describing to me in detail how important this toy was to what she was doing. So then I took, Gwen had her turn, I said, what, what's going on? Is that true? And, you know, Gwen's a lot smaller, so just not... Not as many words coming out yet. So she was like, you know what? Darby wasn't playing with it, so I wanted to turn. So I again cross-examined Darby and said, Darby, is that true? And I'm very thankful that Darby is very honest because she said, yes, but, and then again was describing how important this toy was. So after hearing both sides of this case here, I decided that really what happened was Darby wasn't playing with this toy anymore. And as soon as Gwen, her little sister, grabbed it, she just wanted it. And so I decided as supreme judge of the house to grant Gwen the toy. And if you're a parent here, you know the first word out of Darby's mouth, right? That's not fair. You know, what her little mind was conceiving is this. An injustice has been done to her. Something's not right, and it's not fair. And as a parent, you know, sometimes we say what I'm about to say next, and sometimes we don't. This is one of those moments where I did, and I said, well, Darby, life's not fair. (laughs) And that's the truth, though, right? Life is not fair. And that's something we all struggle with. All we have to do is turn on the news at night to see that life's not fair. A tornado ripping through Alabama a couple weeks ago took out an entire family of 10 people from two different houses. It's not fair. We see just here in Morrisville a couple weeks ago, an entire family is murdered. That's not fair. It's not fair that these super rich people from the news this week are pay, uh, paying and bribing their children's way into school. All those things aren't fair. And I think if we had time, we could pass a mic around and we could all have a time in our life where we see that it wasn't, life's not fair. Maybe a loved one dying suddenly, a student getting to a car and never coming home. See, when we see these things happen, I think the questions that come to mind for us is this. Why do bad things happen to good people? Do you ever ask that question? I know I do all the time. Why do, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to me? And I think for me, actually, the question that irritates me more is why do good things happen to bad people? Why do I look around the world and seeing the injustice that I see? It doesn't make sense. It's not fair. So today as we talk about God's justice, what I'm hoping is, is when we look at God's scripture, uh, we can see, uh, we can come back with the answer to this question, 
Is God just in an unjust world? So uh, before we turn to scripture, I want to do two things. First, I want us to define what justice is. So we're all starting from the same place. And then I want to show you visually something that's really helped me in the study for this, of showing you kind of a Christian worldview of God's judgments. Uh, so first, what is God's justice? What is God's justice? To understand God's justice, first we have to see that the word righteousness and justice in the Hebrew and the Greek are, come from the same root word. So for us, the word justice and righteousness are two separate words. But for the hearers of the Hebrew people and the hearers of the New Testament, when they hear justice, they think righteousness as well. In fact, we're going to see several scriptures today where, where we see God's, when God's justice is named, so is his righteousness. So for us to really understand God's justice, we have to understand his righteousness first. So what is God's righteousness? God's righteousness is simply this. He is the standard by which all he is the one by which all things are measured. See, God sets the standards. Because God is holy, right? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about God's holiness. Because God is holy and perfect, that means everything he does is right. So the measuring stick, if you will, the rules that are laid down come from God. Now, we have to understand that before we move to God's justice. Because God is righteous, he's the only one that can judge between right and wrong because he sets the standards of right and wrong. So what is God's justice? God's justice simply is this. He will make all things right. He will make all things right. See, he will fix the problems. He will right the wrongs, and he will give justice to those who suffer from injustice. So now we're starting from this thought, that's understanding what is God's justice, that he will make all things right, simply put. He will fix all things. So now, uh, as we talk about this Christian worldview, I want us to think about this stage as a timeline, okay? And from here, that way forever, was infinity past, where God lived in perfect community with himself. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit lived in perfect unity in his holiness, in his righteousness, in his love, in his justice, and his mercy, all of it was perfect. And then we see in Genesis chapter 1, what did God do? God created the heavens and the earth. And he created, if you will, this start of this parenthesis of a time. And here, what did God do? He created everything. He created the heavens and the earth, the sun and the moon, the, the, the sea and the dry land. He created fish. He created animals and vegetation. And then lastly, he created us. And what did God say after he made everything? At the end of every day of creation, what did he say? What I made was flawed, that what I made needed help, that it needed fixing. No, God said after he created everything, he saw it and it was good. So when God created humanity, when he created Adam and Eve, they walked in the garden in perfect unity with him, which means perfect justice and perfect righteousness and perfect love. They walked together. But then we see Genesis chapter 3. And Adam and Eve decided that they couldn't trust God anymore. And with that came sin. In this time that was perfect and everything, righteousness and justice reigned supreme, everything was perfect, was over because of that sin. And a new time was created. A new parenthesis was started. And in this parenthesis is where we live and find ourselves today. 
And if we continue to read Genesis and read through the Bible, we'll get to Revelation chapter 20. And a time is coming when Jesus will come again. He will come and sit on his righteous, his white throne of judgment and judge every single human being that has ever or will ever live. And then Genesis chapter 1 starts a new time. God will make all things right. He will create a new heaven and a new earth. There's no end parentheses here because it'll never, it'll never end. And here, God's perfect righteousness and justice will again, we will live in it again. But this is where we live today. We live in a world that has cancer, in a world that has disease, in a world where people starve to death every day, but our world creates enough food to feed 10 billion people a year. The earth has seven and a half billion people. Do the math. We live in this time. Is it because of God that we live in this time? No, it is because of us, you and I. We have all taken part in the mutiny against God. We all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. And this is where we find ourselves in a time where God's justice isn't seen immediately. So, as we turn to Genesis 18... We're going to see, I believe, what can help us understand the question we started with. Is God just in an unjust world? So as you turn to Genesis chapter 18, page 14 of your Bible there in your seats, a little reminder of where we are. This is Abraham. Remember, Abraham was called out by God to leave his land and go sojourn in the land that was going to be promised to him. He was going to be the father of the people of Israel. He was promised a son. Uh, to start that family. And in Genesis chapter 18, what we see Abraham and Lot leave together and the Lord blesses them so mightily that their herds are so large that the land can't sustain it. So they decide to split. So Lot chooses to go to a valley that seems lush and amazing and Abraham chooses the opposite direction. And in Genesis chapter 18, God himself comes down in human form with two angels and eats with, with uh, Abraham. And there again, he foretells the coming of uh, Abraham and Sarah's son. And then where we pick up in in verse 16, they are on their way. The supper is over. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Have you guys ever known somebody who takes their job really personally? Like it's, it's who they are. Their job is what they are, encompasses their identity. Now, I, I worked at Morton Steakhouse through seminary, and I got to become really good friends with um, my manager there. His name is Joe, and Joe took his job very personally. <clears throat> Everywhere he went, Joe was talking about Morton's. Uh, we, we were, we've, we've hung out several times outside of work. 
And everyone he meet, he would hand his business card, hey, you should come visit me in Morton's. You should come try or whatever our new food is, whatever our new dish was. Come on, you should come try that. In fact, he would carry T-shirts and bags and other things that has the Morton's logo on it to give it to people. See, he took his job very personally. I think the first thing we see, <clears throat> excuse me, about God is God takes his role as judge personally. God always takes his role as judge personally. In verse 21, he says, I will go down. God personally himself goes down to see what has happened and to judge. So what we should, first thing we should take from here, God didn't have to come down because he didn't know what was going on. See, God knows the hearts of man. He knows what's happening. He knows what's going on down there. But what we should take from this is, is, is this. God personally is coming to investigate. Now, why does God take this so personally? It's very simple. God takes it personally because every time anyone sins, you or me or anyone, we sin against God and God alone. See, David came to this realization as we see in Psalm 51, as Nathan came to him and said and, and told him of his sin and he was convicted of it, David said this, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. See, what David came to understand is that, yes, he wronged Bathsheba. Yes, he wronged Uriah. But does Uriah set the standards of what is right and wrong? No, remember we talked about God's righteousness. God sets the standards of what is right and what is wrong. So David came to understand that he sinned against God and God alone. And from this story, we see how personal God takes it. God takes sin extremely personal. Here in Genesis chapter 18, we see the cry, God say, the cries have come to me. The outcry against Simon Moore has come to me. Who do those cries go to? Do they go to the wealthy who had the ability to help the poor of Sodom and Gomorrah? No. Do the cries go to the leaders of Sodom and Gomorrah who had sway with the kings to change how things were going in their cities? No. Did the kings themselves hear the cries of the people and meet them. No, only God himself heard those cries and he came personally to see what was happening and to personally judge Sodom and Gomorrah. We see then the ultimate act of God taking this personally by this. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and live a perfect, righteous life. And then on the cross, he laid down his perfect righteousness for you and for me. And if we follow Jesus Christ, if we decide to have place our faith in him, our judgment was placed on him on the cross. The judgment that we face, the judgment that is rightly ours, he is facing, was facing on the cross. And you know, the amazing thing happens then is he takes our wrath, he takes our judgment and gives us his righteousness so that you and I can stand before the judgment throne of God, not in our own works because of the works that Christ has done, perfect and righteous in the sight of God. God takes his role as judge so personally that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you and for me. That's how personal it is for him. So remember we are here in our timeline. We, are in a, we live in a world that's fallen so short of God's righteousness that, and that we all partake in that and we will all face God's judgments. We see from Genesis 18 that God takes his job personally as judge so much so that he sent his one and only son. The next thing we see here in Genesis 18 is that God always does what is righteous and just, even if we don't understand it. 
<clears throat> Back to the story with Darby and Gwen. See, after I gave him my judgment uh, of the toy, we see Darby was very confused. Darby didn't understand what was happening. Her daddy, who loves her so much, judged against her. She was confused, and her response was what? That's not fair. And we've all been there. That's not fair. But as we look at Abraham in the story, we see that Abraham feels the same way. He says, you know what? It's not fair. So after hearing of God's judgment and what he's going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah, we see in verse 22 God's, Abraham's response to God. <clears throat> so the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. See, we, in this, what we see here is Abraham interceding for the city of Sodom. He's praying for the city of Sodom. And in this prayer to God, we see Abraham's confusion. See, Abraham basically what he's saying is what we've already talked about, right? That's not fair. Really, would you really sweep away any righteous people in that city? Really, would you really do that? So God, no, no, you, you wouldn't really do that, would you? No, no, of course not, because you are righteous and just. You would never do that. What if, what if I don't know, what if there are 50 people that are in the city that are righteous? Would you save that for them? And I love God's response. God's response is yes, because that's the God that we serve, a God of righteousness and justice. Abraham also didn't, so Abraham had an assumption, and his assumption was that if you do good, good things will happen to you. I think we all fall into that. We think as long as we do good, good things will happen, but that's not the reality of the world we live in, right? Because we live in a fallen, broken world. Bad things will happen to good people. Bad things will happen to you. Bad things will happen to me. That's the world we live in. Abraham didn't have the word of God also to fall upon, to have understanding. And Psalm 73 is a beautiful psalm. The author of, of Psalm 73 is Asaph. Asaph, in the first 15 verses, was talking about the world that he's seeing. He's saying, you know what? I don't understand this world that I live in. It is broken. It's fallen. The, the, un, the wicked are getting fatter and the righteous are suffering. Why is this? And then we see in verse 17, his, he understands from God this. He says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Amen to that, right? This world is hard to understand. Until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their ends. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one wakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and arrogant. I was like a beast towards you. I love Asaph's honesty. When he looked around you, he was angry at God. Have you ever been angry at God because of the wickedness you've seen around you? Have you ever been asked, God, why are you letting this happen? I love Asaph's understanding of seeing himself, his anger, he says this, Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. 
You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to anyone who is unfaithful to you, but for you, it is, for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. See, we're all like, we've all been like Asaph. We're angry at the injustice we see. I was angered this week by the fact that 50 people were killed in New Zealand. That's not fair. When I look around the world and I see things that I don't like, I can get angry at God. But the reality is, even in that confusion, just like Abraham was confused, God is with us. Did you see that? He said, you, guide, you hold my right hand. For me, I just imagine a father guiding their child through the troubles and trials of life. He is with you. And in the end, we will be with him in glory. When Jesus Christ comes again and judges the world for those who have placed their faith in Jesus and a judgment has been poured on him on the cross, we will be with him in glory forever. And for those who haven't, for those who haven't placed their faith in Christ, judgment awaits an eternity away, banished from the Lord forever. So when life is confusing, when we don't understand it, God is with you no matter what. God is there. And I like what Abraham does. When he got confused, what did he do? He said he drew near the Lord. He drew near to the Lord. So when things are confusing, they shouldn't push us away from the Lord. When we say life's not fair, that shouldn't drive us away from the Lord. We should be like Abraham and we should draw near to God in those times. Pray to him. Guess what? God can take it if you can tell him you're angry at him. It's okay. He's big enough for that. Talk to him. Pray for him. For things you see around you. So we see Abraham's confusion. We know Abraham's confusion. The next thing we have to see is this. We hear the foundation of Abraham's prayer. See, Abraham prayed on a foundation of the fact that he knew who God was. In verse 25, he says, at the very end of verse 25, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? See, he knew that God is righteous and just. And we see that all throughout Scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, we see Moses echo this. He says, the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. Psalm 89, 14 says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Psalm 97, 2 said, clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. What did you guys see there in those verses? What you saw is that God but is in his very nature righteous and just. Those two verses from Psalm says what? His throne is built on what? His righteousness and his justice. So when Jesus comes again and the great right throne of judgment comes, that throne is built off of what? His righteousness and his justice. The fact that he is the one by which all things are measured. He sets the rules and the fact that he will make everything right again. So God 
cannot do anything that is not in his nature to do. So Eagles fans, I know you're here. Hey, believe, yeah. So Eagles fans could never cheer for the Cowboys, right? Even if they're playing for the Patriots, you couldn't cheer for them, right? Just, so just like you, Eagles fans, who bleed green, could never cheer for the Cowboys, God can never do what, is, what, he, what he can't do, sorry. He can never be, never do what is against his very nature. See, God is righteous and just. And he can never do anything other than be righteous and just. So we see that even if we don't understand something, we don't understand what's going on in the world, God is always righteous and just because it's his very nature to do so. And lastly, here in in Genesis chapter 18, we see this. God always hears our cry for justice. God always hears our cry for justice. So back to Darby and Gwen again. We've talked a lot about Darby's confusion about what happened, but now I want to look at Gwen, the story from Gwen's perspective. Because see, in this story, Gwen is actually the one who had injustice done to her. She picked up a toy that wasn't being used, and she was attacked by her sister for it. And her cry was, no, 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 it's not right, no, no, no. And what happened? I heard. As her father, I heard, and I entered the room to see what was happening, to figure out, and then give her justice. Now, I know I'm not God. I will mess up. I probably messed up like eight times today already. But you know who doesn't mess up? You know who, who always does what is perfect? Our loving heavenly father. And if we hear the cries of our children, how much more will God hear our cries? So we see two cries here in, in this passage. First is the cry against Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 18, excuse me, verse 20 in chapter 18. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. So what is this sin? What is this outcry that is against Sodom and Gomorrah? And we're going to look to Ezekiel today to give us that answer. And it's not going to be what you think. God speaking through Ezekiel says this, Behold, there was, behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. So I removed them when I saw it. See, most of us, when we think of Sodom and Gomorrah, we think of just sexual sin. And yes, there was sexual sin in the city, but what I see from this is that is more of a a symptom of the disease that was killing them. So what really, the cries that rose to the Lord were cries of a heinous moral and social corruption. There's just an arrogant disregard for just basic human rights and an unloving heart towards others. Really what they weren't doing is they weren't loving their neighbor as themselves. They weren't loving their neighbors. See, we even see there's some extra biblical text about Sodom and Gomorrah, and in that we see that it actually was illegal for them to help needy people at all. You couldn't do anything. And there's a story in these texts that says a young girl gave some food to a starving man, and because she broke that law, she was executed for it. That's the kind of place that Sodom and Gomorrah is, a place where love has no room in their society. 
a place that is so wicked and evil, they would kill someone for giving food to a needy person. So this is what Sodom and Gomorrah's sin was. And because of that sin, judgment came. Flip over one chapter to Genesis chapter 19. We're going to look at verse 23 through 28 here. We see God's judgment come here. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities. And what grew on the ground, but Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. The cry of the Lord, the cries of in righteousness, unrighteousness and unjustness came to the Lord and he saw it. He personally investigated, get, investigated it and he saw that not even 10 were righteous in Sodom and he destroyed everything, even the grass that was there. That was the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. The next cry that we see, the second cry is Abraham's cry. We see that Abraham, remember we talked about Abraham interceding. He was praying for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he cried out and said, Lord, if there, basically if there be any righteous there, would you save them? And God went to Sodom and Gomorrah. As we see, there, there weren't even ten there. But there were four. There were four who were righteous. And God saved them. See, God heard Abraham's cry. And in verse uh, 19, again, in verse 29, we see this. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the, of the overthrow. And when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. See, God heard Abraham's cry and he saved the four righteous who were there for the destruction of the city. See, God hears our cries for injustice. God hears you. When you say that's not right, God, what's going on here? He hears you. I think our problem is we want to see justice immediately, right? And that's just not the way justice is given in this broken, fallen world. Sometimes, yes, justice is given. But we as believers know that ultimately justice will come when Jesus himself comes back. So God, we see that God always takes his role as judge personally. Because of the broken of this world, it was against him and him alone. We know that God is always just because he is always righteous even when we don't understand it. And God always hears our cries for justice. See, we started with the question, what was that question? Can God be just in an unjust world? And the answer to that question is unequivocally, yes, he can, because he is right and just. So God is always righteous and just, even in an unfair world. Well, we need to remember that, yes, this world is unfair, but God is always righteous and always just, no matter what. So the question before us now is, how does our understanding of God's judgment affect my tomorrow? How does it affect your life, understanding God's judgment? And in Genesis chapter 18, again, we look at verse uh, 19. God gives us some very simple steps that we can take, or maybe not so simple, but some steps we need to be taking every day. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So the first thing we see as parents, we, we have to be teaching our children the way of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 
echoes this call. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. See, parents, our number one goal is to teach our children about the Lord. Our number one goal is not to make sure that they get perfect grades or they get into the perfect college or that they get into, that they find the perfect spouse or they get the perfect job. See, our role and judge our role as parents is to teach them the way of the Lord because you see if they get the perfect grades and they get the perfect college and they get the perfect job and they get the perfect spouse yet they don't have Christ they have nothing our number one mission as parents is to teach them the way of the Lord so how do we do that luckily God answers that for us real quick here in Genesis chapter 18 he says this By doing righteousness and justice. By doing righteousness and justice. Now, this is not just for parents. This call is for everyone that calls themselves the follower of Jesus Christ. We are all to be doing righteousness and justice. So what does it mean to be doing righteousness? Remember what the rule, remember we decided was the uh, definition of righteousness? The standards which God set, right? So we are to be doing God's standards, We are to be following Jesus Christ with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, everything we are. Now, how do we know what God's rules are? This is like Sunday school answer. The Bible, right? All that we need is right here to live the life that the Lord's called us to do. So parents, are you reading your word? Are you spending time devouring this book so that when you walk by, when you go to sleep, when you're in your home, you are teaching your children, not only by your words, but by your actions, the way of the Lord. Adults, when you're at work, do your fellow employees see the world standards that you live by or God's standards that you live by and work by? We are called to do righteousness and when we are, then we are called to do justice, which means that all of us should be doing what is just. It means when we see something unjust, we should be there trumpeting that this is not right. This is not what the Lord wants for this world. And we should be trying the best we can to make it right. We are to be doing righteousness and doing justice. Abraham, I think, shows us just real quick a couple of ways that we can do that practically Abraham prayed for Sodom. Do you pray for your Sodom? Do you pray for the wickedness around you? Do you pray for those that really, really annoy you? And the prayer should not be, Lord, please get them away from me. But the prayer should be, God, use me to show them you. All of God's love, all of God's commands can be summed up in what commands? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Sodom set the perfect example of how we're not supposed to live. Sodom didn't love their neighbors. We are to love everyone regardless of where they come from, what they look like, what religion they are, what they say, what they do. We are to love everyone regardless. So two steps that we can take today 
you guys can start this today, is when you leave these doors, you love everyone regardless. And then you pray for those around you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just come before you, Lord, and we... God, we just, I am so thankful that you are a God of justice and righteousness, Lord, because we are so unjust and unrighteous in ourselves. So, Lord, I pray that we, Lord, take your word and we apply it in our lives, Lord, that we will be a people who do righteousness and justice every day, that we will read your word, that it will consume us so that everything we do just oozes you, that people see Jesus and hear Jesus and everything we say and we do. So, Lord, I, guess, I just pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you give us all the ability this week to do that. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts, our minds, eyes to see who we should be praying for, to the wickedness around us, to those who don't know you around us, Lord. May we pray every day to seek you. So we love you, Lord, and we're thankful, God, for who you are. And we pray, amen.